Can you all please stand for the scripture reading? Today we will be reading from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish (laughs) from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, and then we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So, the cast, so they cast lots, and they, then the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? The sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more temperish. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. And I know it is because of me that this great tempest have come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not us on innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared that the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, everyone. Happy Independence Day. Some of you clearly know that it's Independence Day based on how you're dressed. Nice job with that. Welcome to Disciples Church. It is uh, great to see all of you as always. We are glad for those of you who have joined us, especially those of you who are visiting. My name is Dave Hahn, and as always, it is my privilege to open God's word with and for you today. A certain pastor that I appreciate once observed that the Bible stories kids are most familiar with and are most taught are somewhat terrifying. Maybe not very fit for young children. I mean, think about it. Noah's Ark. We decorate our babies' rooms with pictures of the animals getting on the big boat, or we hang mobiles above the crib with mama and papa elephant and giraffes. But what we leave out is that the boat 
was built and the animals were put on it because everyone and everything except for Noah, his family, and one set of every animal were about to be drowned. How about the story of Moses and the ten plagues? where God outdid Pharaoh and his magician's tricks over and over and over again. But here's how we don't end the story at nighttime readings. And then God killed all the firstborn children of Egypt. Good night, buddy. Right? The story of Jonah is a lot like that. We like talking about Jonah living inside what we call the whale, what Scripture calls a giant fish, but we don't really talk about the fact that Jonah got himself into that pickle because he was running from God. It is both somewhat silly, and we can chuckle at it, but also unfortunate if we tell stories this way. Because I think we miss out on the two big ideas. One, mankind's sinful disobedience. And two, God's seeking after, loving, and rescuing us in spite of that. That's what these stories and really all other stories in the Bible have in common. An unfaithful people who are loved and pursued by an eternally faithful God. And how this covenant-keeping God saved and uses his disobedient children to accomplish his perfect will. Whether it be Noah, or Moses, or Jonah, or you, or me. So let's look again at verse one of what Abby read for us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So when the word of the Lord comes to someone, we should understand that phrase to mean that God is speaking personally and directly to that person, and he intends to use them powerfully. So the word of the Lord, it says, came to Jonah twice in the whole of the book of Jonah. Once here in chapter 1, as we just read, and then again we'll see the word of the Lord come to Jonah in chapter 3. And in chapter 1, God gives Jonah three instructions. Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. Other translations may say to preach against it or to proclaim judgment against it. And God likely refers to Nineveh as a great city because according to historians, it was the largest city in the world at this time. It took three days, according to historians, to move through it or to see all of it. It was also the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, an enemy of Israel. But above all that, God said that it was evil and godless. Read Nahum chapter 3 for the details on their wickedness, to understand what God was seeing and wanted Jonah to go and preach against. And because Nineveh was both large and evil, it had gained God's attention, but not just his attention. Notice that it gained his judgment and his compassion. God had determined that Nineveh's deeds were evil, but he chose not to destroy them. Because if he did want to condemn and destroy Nineveh, he certainly did not need Jonah to do it. 
No, God wanted to save the Ninevites, and he wanted Jonah to be part of it. It is stunning. It really is. It is stunning if you think about it, that God has chosen and equipped people like you and me to be on mission with and for him. Do you realize, friends, that God does not need us to preach repentance or to proclaim the gospel or to save the lost, but that he wants us to? He doesn't need us to. He wants us to. He has extended an invitation to us to participate in his kingdom's work as priests and as ambassadors and as ministers. We only need to say yes and then go where he tells us. He has invited us to play. And for every believer, every believer, that means across the hall, means across the street, and it means across town. At the very least, it means those things. And then for others, it might mean across the world. Friends, do not hear mission exclusively as something that people do when they go across the pond and speak to unreached people groups. Your mission field is across the hall or across the street or across town. Every one of you. And wherever it is that God is calling us, we need to be obedient. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah arose as God had commanded. Remember, that was the first commandment. But his obedience ended there, didn't it? He got up. But he didn't go to Nineveh. And he didn't call out against it. Not only did Jonah not head towards Nineveh, he found a boat that was going in the exact opposite direction. Now, we will discover the reason for Jonah's disobedience in the coming weeks. I don't want to spoil that for you, although many of you probably know. But for today, I think it's enough for us to know that God put a call on Jonah's life, and Jonah ran the other way. God put a call on Jonah's life, and Jonah ran the other way. Tarshish was considered the westernmost city in the Mediterranean world, and Nineveh was due east. Here's Tarshish. Here's Nineveh. Jonah wanted to get as far away from God's presence and God's call on his life as he possibly could, but it was a fool's errand. Maybe Jonah had forgotten Psalm 139 where David wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is as light 
with you. My friends, nothing escapes God's notice, and no one escapes God's presence. Nothing escapes his notice, and no one escapes his presence. Continuing in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Friends, who provided the great wind and the mighty tempest? Who provided the great wind and the mighty tempest? We struggle so mightily, I think, to believe that the storms in our lives are oftentimes heaven sent. We struggle to believe that the storms in our lives are oftentimes heaven sent. Instead, we'll tend to believe that God is absent in our trials. That he is only near and he is only active when things are easy and peaceful and comfortable. Or perhaps we believe that the devil is on the loose, a dog off of his chain, and he's stirring up trouble, and that God is just chasing after him, trying to clean up his mess. Or maybe, just maybe, we think that our sinful choices are without consequence. Here's the big problem with believing all of that. The Bible. That's the problem with believing all that. The whole of Scripture declares that none of those things are true. And in fact, it demonstrates that the opposite is true. And Jonah is just one of many examples for us to look at to see what is true. Consider all the heroes of the Bible and try to find an easy life among any of them. Try to find an easy life among anybody that the Bible talks about. I think few Christians would trade places with many of those whom God has most powerfully used. We call them heroes, but would we want their lives? So where do we get the idea that an easy, trouble-free life is normative for the life of a Christian. Where do we get that idea? Much less for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Was there ever grief or suffering like that of the Lord and Savior we follow? Did he not say that because he was persecuted, we would be persecuted? Think of his earliest followers. All but one were killed for their faith, and they were all imprisoned. So as you look at Scripture, do you not see that God is oftentimes the author of our hardships? And where he is not the author, he is always, always the one who allows it. That comes along with being sovereign, is God sovereign if something happens outside of his will? So, the next logical question around things like this is, why then does God allow storms? There are likely multiple reasons, depending on the person and the situation and all of those things, but I think here's what all people 
and all situations have in common as it relates to that question. The reason that God oftentimes allows storms is for the eternal good of we, his children, and more than that, his glory. For our good and for his glory. In God's eyes, the saving grace he offered the people of Nineveh was well worth the stormy sea and the frightened sailors and the broken ship that it took to put Jonah back on his designated path for him. It was well worth it because he knew what was at the end. And so it is with you and I when storms come into our lives. God, my friends, wastes no hurts. And he provides and he uses every bit of our suffering to discipline us and to mature us and to accomplish his will. And above all that, to bring glory to himself. Even the suffering that we bring on ourselves. And through our trials, we are promised his unending presence. We get more of him through depending upon him. And is there anything that causes us to depend upon God more than suffering and difficulty? But we get more of him in all of that. So the question that I think you and I need to answer around all of this is this. Is he enough? Is he enough? In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of whatever it is that is going on in your life, is the promise of his presence enough for you? Or is an easy, comfortable life of our own choosing the thing that we most desire? You have to ask that question. Continuing in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Everything the men aboard this ship experienced had everything to do with Jonah and his disobedience. Do you realize that? Inherently, there was nothing wrong with the city of Tarshish. There was nothing wrong with the ship, and there was really nothing wrong with the men who were upon it. And under other circumstances, very likely, none of what you read about in Jonah would have happened. But Jonah... But Jonah, a prophet of God, was where he should not have been. He was where he should not have been. And he was going where God did not want him to go. And therein lay the cause of the trouble. That's why the trouble. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, If you do a wrong thing in the most right way, it does not make it right. If you go contrary to the Lord's will, though done decently and devoutly, it is nonetheless sinful, and it will bring you under God's discipline or condemnation. 
So no matter what good thing you think you're doing, if it is not part of God's will for your life, it is still sinful. So consider God in all your ways, my friends, and do not run from him. Go where he would have you go. Do what he would have you do. And if you do not, expect discipline from his loving and sovereign hand. Not punishment. Discipline. As a father loves his child. So, faced with certain peril, each of the sailors cried out to their God. Demonstrating that no matter how strong the person or how independent, eventually even the hardest of men will fall to their knees in desperation before God, begging for mercy. It's only a matter of time. And if not in this life, we are assured that all men will hit their knees in the life to come. Friends, extreme conditions reveal the religiosity of every man and trouble will cause every man to try to bargain with God. God, I'll do anything if you just do this. But of course, what's behind all of that is that they won't actually do everything. What they won't do is follow and love him and worship him with no ifs. These sailors aboard the ship were no different. Religious men. And as good polytheists, they did not want to leave any God out just in case he was the one. Though there was only one true God, and so they woke Jonah to see if it was his God who was behind the storm. Because they were hoping for what Jonah already knew, that his God was compassionate. Maybe it's your God, Jonah, and maybe he'll be compassionate and save us from what we're in. Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Through what these men believed to be a game of chance, God revealed that the source of their trouble was Jonah. Have you ever thought about the fact that God can make the die fall wherever he chooses? That there's no such thing as luck or chance? So they're casting lots, and God goes, yeah, I can use that. I'll reveal that it's Jonah through that. And they proceeded then 
once they, it was revealed that Jonah was the problem, they proceeded to grill him about who he was and what God he followed in hopes that they could appease Jonah's God and save their own lives. And so Jonah confessed, declaring who he was and which God he feared, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You know, the same sea that's beating us up right now, that God, that God. And so these men were both indignant with Jonah and they were afraid. Essentially saying to Jonah, this is a paraphrase, you're fleeing from the God of land and sea? Are you nuts? Are you nuts? Even the most hardened unbeliever understands the folly of running from God, and even the most hardened unbeliever recognizes that if our faith and our message and our God is real, they need to be made known and put on display. So Penn Jillette is one half of the magic duo Penn and Teller. Who's heard of Penn and Teller before? Yeah. So you may not know that Penn is a proud atheist. And the story goes that after one of his shows, he, a believer came up to him in kind of a meet and greet situation, and he shared his faith in Christ with Penn and said, I'm praying for you. And Mr. Gillette was so moved by that that he posted a video about the encounter. You can actually find it on YouTube if you're interested. And what he said in part was this. I've always said that I don't respect people who do not proselytize. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point at which I tackle you. And this is more important than that. He's right. This is more important than that. Our faith our message and our God needs to be proclaimed, not put under a bushel or hidden in a bunk at the bottom of a ship. Everything was breaking loose above board and Jonah was sleeping. Verse 11, then they, the sailors, said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. In these closing verses, my friends, I think we see a semi-repentant Jonah. I say that word <laughs> intentionally. 
semi-repentant Jonah. We'll get to the full repentance. A semi-repentant Jonah who is confused about the nature and the character of God. And as such, Jonah's offer to sacrifice himself may not have been as virtuous as it seems. I mean, it, it could have been heroism that was born of desperation. He was feeling guilty about the fact that he got sailors into this mess. Or maybe it was that he would have rather died than preach to his enemies. Or perhaps it really was a God-honoring self-sacrifice for the sake of others. I really don't think that it's clear. But what is clear is this. Jonah seemed to believe only in a God of judgment and not a God of forgiveness. I mean, look at this text. He could have sought God's forgiveness during the storm and told the sailors to turn that ship around and head back towards Joppa so that he could get on another ship towards Nineveh and go and do what God had asked him to do. But instead, he told the sailors to throw him into the sea. And when the sailors realized that none of their gods could save them and that they could not save themselves no matter how hard they rode, they did as Jonah told them, while at the same time begging this unknown God to them not to hold them accountable for it. They understood that throwing a prophet of a God into the sea would likely not go great for them. And upon throwing Jonah overboard, the storm immediately went calm. Do you see that? Because, because the same God who brings the storms and allows the storms also calms the storms when and how he sees fit. He brings the storms and he allows the storms and in his time, according to his will, he calms them. And then look at how the men responded in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to the Lord. These are acts of worship, my friends. Acts of worship from delivered and rescued men. Rescued and delivered, physically speaking, for certain. But perhaps, spiritually speaking as well. I mean, look at some of the evidence of spiritual renewal. They stopped trying to save themselves through depending on other gods, for, through praying for different circumstances, or lightening their load, or rowing hard to their own safety. They stopped with all of that. And instead, they began to fear God more than they did their circumstances. Do you see that? They began to fear God more than they did anything or anyone else. And in fearing the one true Lord, which the Bible tells us is the beginning of wisdom, they found salvation and safety in him. Friends, one of the greatest indicators of whether or not a person truly worships, loves, and follows God is this. What do you do 
when you are out of the trouble that brought you to your knees in the first place? What do you do when you're no longer in the trouble that you were in when you hit your knees in the first place? What do you do when you no longer need him? Is God only a thought in your mind and someone that you look to when you have nowhere else to turn? Or is he the one that you want to know, love, and follow in every circumstance? Or let me ask it this way. Are you using God or are you giving yourself to him in worship? Are you using him or are you giving yourself to him in worship? Disciples Church, there is so much for us to consider and to be challenged by in these 16 verses. There's a lot. In Jonah chapter 1, we we find a man of God running from what he was called to do and so absorbed with his own troubles and his own worries that he put the physical and spiritual salvation of others in peril. I have been where Jonah has been. Have you? So concerned with yourself, so concerned with your own troubles, that you miss a lost and dying world around you. I think there are a lot of Christians who follow Jonah's poor example. Those who are hiding or sleeping through this life, either unaware of the desperate times that they are in or seeking intentionally to avoid them. I'm just going to go down here and sleep it away because I can't deal with that. And we find ourselves ultimately living indifferently to our own lives and to the lives of others, all the while hoping that God will not notice. And then there are those who are keeping themselves from the work that God has for them, most especially the work of prayerful dependence in a troubled world and being ministers of reconciliation to the lost. We are all signed up for that. All of us. Friends, one of God's desires for you and me is that we might rediscover the truth of his love for all people everywhere. We are a divided people. I don't think anybody is unaware of that. And God wants to remind us in and through the story of Jonah of his desire to love and to rescue all people, everywhere. Even those that we don't particularly like, those who are different than us, vote different than us, listen to different talk radio than we do, watch different news channels than we do, live in different places than we live, dress differently than we dress, whatever it is, And he certainly wants us to know that he has love for the people that we believe to be unredeemable. Who are the people in your life that you think cannot and will not be changed? God wants us to remember that it is we who were once his enemies 
We were pagans. We were Ninevites. Do you realize that? We were, past tense, pagans and Ninevites. But in Christ, we have been brought into the family of God. And he wants us to be about the business of seeking out our brothers and sisters. And lastly, God wants us to better understand our role in carrying out his message of love and reconciliation. To be about the business of declaring the good news of salvation found in his beloved son. And as we saw demonstrated in this first chapter, God can effectively use us to bring others to faith in him, even in our disobedience. And by others, I don't just mean the Ninevites in our lives. I'm also talking about the sailors and the captains that we encounter along the way. Do you realize that Jonah hasn't even gotten to the people that God told him to go to yet? But look what he did in the lives of the sailor and the captain. In Jonah, as with all of God's prophets, we find shadows of our Savior. Like Jonah, Jesus was a Galilean who was willing to enter into the fury of God's wrath to rescue those who were far from him. And while Jonah was disobedient and guilty, Jesus was perfectly obedient and innocent. Where Jonah needed to be picked up and thrown into the sea by others, Jesus threw himself into the storm of sin and of death for you and me. And that kind of sacrificial love gets the attention of everyone being tossed about by the seas of life. So whether you be an unbeliever today or a Christian who is running from God, my question for you is this. What will it take for you to repent and to seek God's mercy? To turn I was going that way, now I'm going that way. How bad does the storm need to get for you? When will you surrender to his lordship and if you do not know him, receive the salvation he is offering? Salvation from sin and from death, the greatest of storms. Friends, you being here today is an objective evidence of the fact that you have been set upon a course of God's great love and active pursuit of you. That he has not given up on you. That the word of the Lord has come to you today because you've heard it. Fellow Christians, fear nothing because God's love casts out fear his perfect love casts out fear but if you do fear let it be of God himself not the trials that this life may bring because our God is the God of the storms and while he may allow them he also promises to be with us in them that is the reason we rejoice and that is the reason that we are comforted and he promises to bring 
them to rest in his time according to his purposes. You can trust that. And you can believe that. Because he's done it before. Though heaven and earth may shake in Christ, we are safe and secure because we are forgiven, no longer accountable for our sins, and we are alive forever indwelled by our risen King. Disciples Church, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember to whom you belong and what he has called you to do and run no more. But if you do run, know that it is never, never too late to turn back. Let's pray. Our Father, you are faithful when at times we are faithless. You relentlessly pursue us when too often we run from what you command us to do. You never leave us, though at times we doubt that you are near. While we were your enemies, while we were your enemies, your son, our Lord Jesus, died for us. And now, as your sons and daughters, you send us to this world, though we are not of it. As you have loved us, let us love others. As you have forgiven us, let us declare and demonstrate forgiveness to and for others. Let us trust and rest and depend on you and you alone, Lord. Let us forsake all other gods, the people and the things that we believe we cannot do without, people and things we believe will do for us what only you can. Let us forsake them. Reveal yourself to the lost, Lord. Encourage and strengthen the found. For from you, for you, and to you are all things, God. We love, praise, and honor you in this day. And it's in Jesus' most beautiful and holy name that we offer this prayer. Amen.